0: Well, amen. It is uh, great for Sue and I to be back here again and uh, to open God's Word. So I'm going to make a few remarks about what we've been up to. But while I'm doing that, get your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to take a look at a message today about the battle. Um, The Christian life we live in is a battle. And uh, we don't ever want to understate that. We don't ever want to overstate it, but uh, we're going to look at that from Ephesians 6 today. Uh, Before we do that, though, as you are well aware, I served at uh, Harvest York Region for 11 years, and in January started in a new role as the uh, Canadian Regional Director for the Great Commission Collective, of which uh, your church is a part. And uh, Sue and I have been all over Canada um, this year so far, a little bit down in the States as well, uh, serving our churches, and it's a great privilege. To do it, I, I like to explain what I do, kind of in four uh, sentences for people to understand. What we're what we're striving for is that we would have healthy leaders leading strong churches, planting life-giving churches around the world. So that was three things, right? And then the fourth thing is uh, recruiting and seeing other churches come and join us in the journey. And uh, so that's what uh, my new job is. That's what the task is. And uh, we've been traveling. We still uh, make um, Harvest York Region, which is as of today. So if you get out of the service before their 11 o'clock service starts, please don't put anything on Facebook. But uh, they're announcing a name change there, and uh, they will be uh, Hope Bible Church Markham, um, officially starting on October the 5th or 6th. But uh, that announcement's being revealed. So you're getting like the secret scoop of that. Uh, We heard it because we were there last night and are excited about what God's doing in our churches across our nation. But it's a battle And for sure, it's a battle. You know it's true in your own life, and you know it's true in the church. And so today, I want to talk about how messy that can be. This battle that we need to be ready for. Um, The Christian life is a battle. It's a battle against a strong enemy. And if you deny the reality that we face, a strong enemy, you set yourself up to be defeated. Um, Although he's a strong enemy, he's not a greater enemy. He's not a greater enemy than he who is in us. He's not a greater enemy that, with God's help, we don't conquer, but he's a strong enemy. Um, and the great part of that, for followers of Jesus Christ, especially at the end, we win, we win. And so this is not a message about, oh no, how awful it's gonna be, but it's a reality message about what God's called us to and what we're to be a part of as we live our lives for the glory of God. The enemy is real, he's powerful, he's slick, But God is greater, and he's given us all the tools that we need to fight this battle successfully. And when I look at that from Ephesians chapter 6 today, so would you stand with me as we read God's word today? I want to read starting at verse 10 uh, down to the end of verse 20. Here's what Paul says. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand... Uh, To stand firm, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, and as shoes of your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take on the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. to speak. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for the amazing privilege it is to uh, come together, to lift our voices in strong worship, in words to you for all that you've done and what you've accomplished for every person in this room who has put their trust in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we realize, we realize that just from what we went through last week, this spiritual life is a battle. Never promised it would be easy, but you've always promised you'll go with us And Father, the victory we have comes through the power of your Spirit leading and directing us. And so, Lord, if someone's here today and in their spiritual journey, they feel like they are a failure, Father, um, it's a new day. There's a new opportunity. There's a time to be right with you and move forward as we grow up in Jesus Christ. For the one who is rejoicing in their walk with you, I pray that you would continue to encourage them, but remind them this is a battle. And if the battle's not on today, it's going to come. And Father, for the person who is outside of Christ today, who never trusted Christ, would you use this message? Would you use this message to open their eyes that they may see uh, through eyes of faith what we understand in Jesus Christ. Do all of this, we pray, for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. You can take your seats. It would be wrong for me to just jump right into Ephesians chapter 6 without taking a minute to kind of paint a picture of what Paul's already been doing in this book, right? Uh, Paul is in prison as he's writing this, and so as he talks about some of the things, he's experiencing uh, some of the realities of what he's talking about, and uh, so we have this um, a battle that's going on in his own life, and so he writes this letter to this church, and in the first part of the letter that he writes to the church, he, he really gives them a doctrinal basis. Ephesians chapter 1 is an amazing chapter of how how good God is, and God's working, and His choosing us, and our are, are, are being um, uh, brought into the family of God, and all that God's done. There's all this rich theology in Ephesians chapter one and Ephesians chapter two. It starts out, and we understand it says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after God. We're we're dead. Spiritually, we're dead. But then in Ephesians 2, as you read through the first verses there, it talks about that we are made alive in Jesus Christ. And God does this transforming work where he brings us from death to life. So often when you talk to people, they talk about the journey they were on, and I was seeking after God, and, and I was on a spiritual journey, and I found Christ. Mm, no, you didn't. That's what it appears is what happened to you, but that's not what really happened to you. The Bible said you were dead. Dead people aren't looking, after, looking out for anything. They're not striving for anything. Um, the Bible says you were made alive in Christ Jesus, and that's a work that God did, and he does that work through us, and we find ourselves in a journey, and, but God starts that work, and, and then it says in Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you're saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works lest, no, lest anyone would boast. And uh, if it was about what we did, we would become boastful about it. And then in Ephesians 2, it goes on and it talks about the fact that we are his workmanship. God working in us. God doing this work, writing this poem of our lives. We come to uh, Ephesians chapter 3, and I've been preaching about it this summer and really focusing towards the glory of God. That's The purpose of your life is one thing, is to glorify God. Everything else is, is not the main purpose. Having a good church, having good ministries, having good—they're all good things, but they're not the thing. Um, having a family and having a job and having devotions and raising your kids to go to church, and they're all good things, but they're not the thing. The thing is to glorify God, and you see that in uh, verses uh, 20 and 21, I think it is. And, and then Paul comes to Ephesians chapter 4, and after all of this rich theology and all of this rich teaching, now he he's t- kind of turns the book on its head. It's like, this is who you are, and now the rest of the book is now this is what you do. And... Uh, he talks about so many different things. He talks about sin in our lives, and he talks about preparing people to do the work of ministry. And in Ephesians 5, he gets to that place about submission, and he talks about the church is filled with people who are in mutual submission. Then he talks about the relationship between husbands and wives. And and then he goes on, and he talks about the relationship between kids and their parents, between slaves and those who are the uh, masters over them. And, And then as we move down through into Ephesians, 6, he's coming to the end of the book, and as he comes to the end of the book, then he comes to this. He says, finally, finally. And he wants to give them some more tools to put in their toolbox so that they can live for the glory of God. And so today we want to take a look at four things that he talks about in this text, and I trust they will help you in your battle. Because if you're not feeling like you're in a battle today, get ready, you are going to be in a battle. Uh, The battle is coming, and we need to be ready for it, and we need to have the tools so that we can stand. um. Becoming a Christian was the best decision you ever made in your life. It was the most important decision you ever made in your life. But the day you trusted Christ, that was the most wonderful thing you did. You might think, well, no, I got this job. That was a wonderful thing. Yeah, but it doesn't compare to knowing Christ. Yeah, but I I found a wife. And some of you guys are lucky you found a wife at all, but it's not not the most wonderful thing that ever happened in your life, right? My house is paid for. Yeah, it's a good thing, but it's not the most wonderful thing that ever happened in your life. The most wonderful thing that ever happened in your life was when you come to know Jesus Christ. It was the greatest decision. It was the best decision. It was the biggest decision that you ever made. But, but, that decision launches a war. It launches a battle that until we find ourselves in the house of the Lord forever. We're going to be in the middle of this battle, remembering always that we win, remembering always that the victory is ours in Jesus Christ, but we need to be ready for the battle. So here's four things today, right out of the text I want us to take a look at. Here's the first one. Ready for battle? We have to have a right desire, and that is that our strength is in God. We need to make sure we get this foundational piece right. Our strength is in God, um, I can't speak for women because I'm not one. I can speak for men. And I can tell you, we like to try and fix things. We like to try and do things on our own. When there's a problem, I try and be the first one to fix it. Even in spiritual things, so often my first inclination is to, how do I fix this? How do I deal with this? Instead of making my first inclination to run to the Lord and get him on the throne in his right place, our strength is in God. Look at verses 10 and 11. Finally, be strong. In your workout program and your, no, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand. The provision of the armor of God, which he tells us about, it comes from God. And this armor that he gives us is amazing armor. It gives us everything we need for godliness. It gives us everything we need for victory in our Christian walk. It gives us all of the tools. I, I remember as a kid, we used to play ball hockey in, in the driveway, and um, we didn't have the best equipment for that. Um, and so I was the... Uh, There was five kids in our family. I was the third boy, so it was like, dress up Paul, put him in net, and we'll try and kill him. That was kind of what my older brothers desired to do, and we had these great big old uh, pads that we had, and we'd strap stuff on, and I had a baseball chest protector, and I was wearing a baseball mask, and a a glove, and some kind of something for a blocker. I don't know what it was, and then they would try and kill me. That's what their goal was, and uh, it wasn't the best equipment. It it really didn't do a great job, but it was the best we had, and... uh, That's not the kind of equipment we're talking about here. When I started to play hockey, I didn't have the best equipment. I had these uh, skates that, when when you took them off, the top of the skates would flop over, right? And you wondered why you were flopping around on your ankles. I had to put ankle guards in my skates to keep them stiff. Some of you are older, know what those things are. Those of you are younger, like what's he even talking about? And then I had to buy things to wrap around my skates so if a guy shot the puck and it hit me in the foot, it wouldn't kill me. Didn't have the best equipment. But what God offers to us is exactly what we need. I watch guys who play hockey tonight, they're like, they're out there in armor. Um, and and like, how can they possibly get hurt? Because um, they've got the best equipment. Well, that's what we talk about when, when uh, Paul says to these people, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor because this armor we're going to see is exactly what God has for us. We're strong in his strength. Um, That strength, that armor, that really is is God's helping us and directing us. And Colossians chapter 1, which is very much a parallel book to Ephesians, verses 11 to 13, it says this, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. God has done this work in us. God is providing everything we, um, everything we need. Uh, we were just talking on the way up here about Jehoshaphat in Chronicles. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's what Jehoshaphat said. They're in the middle of a battle. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Is that your go-to Position in your walk in Jesus Christ. Understanding that the strength and the ability is not in you. It's not in me. It's in God and what he has done. There is no other path. There is no other way. Um, The strength to get through what we need is not you. It's not the world. It's not another religion. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. God, help me to rest in that every day. Help me to get my eyes focused back on that every day. He says, put on the armor of God. Um, That's a word of permanence in the Greek. This is not something you put on and take off. It's not like that hockey equipment. You play the game and you take it off at the end of the day. It's not like that. This word put on is a permanent thing. And so as we get to the armor in a few minutes, we need to remember we put this on. It becomes who we are. These things that God offers to us, they need to become who we are every day. It's not, well, we're going to church. I need to put on some armor. I'm, I'm going to go and meet with somebody and have a meeting. We need to put on some armor. We're, we're um, Whatever, it's a permanent thing. This is who we're desiring to be. With all of these pieces of equipment that God has given us, it's a permanent thing. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. If we're going to be ready for the battle, we need to be strong in the Lord. Your your stories, we've been hearing stories if you're reading in in the news about the Christian world, about people who walk away from their faith. I, I can tell you right now, each of those people at some point took their eyes off of the Lord. Each one of those people stopped reading the word. Each one of those people stopped praying. Each one of those people started to get their eyes fixed on what they thought they could accomplish and they could do. And in doing all of those things, they left the Lord out of their lives. Now, I'm not even sure necessarily they were saved or not saved. I'm not gonna get into the discussion, but I can tell you, you don't walk away from the Lord when the Lord is your armor. Paul's in prison. If anybody could have packed it in and said, look, I've taken it for the team, it would have been him. He wasn't a lean out guy. He was a lean in guy. And so the first thing we want to be ready for the battle, we got to get our eyes. We got to get our eyes fixed on the Lord, and keep our eyes fixed on Him. Here's the second thing: if you want to be ready for the battle, you need to discern. You need to discern that the enemy is real. The enemy is real. Um, Look at the end of verse eleven and verse twelve. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The enemy who is against us is real. Not only is he real, but he is, he is powerful. Um, his name is Satan, um, In 1 John 2, 15 and 16, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possession is not from the Father, but is from the world. And in this text, it talks about him, gives him the name, the devil. He is real. Here's some things about him. He, He was once the chief angel. He was the anointed cherub. He was called the star of the morning. All of that until he rebelled against God. He is real. Jesus spoke about him in Luke 10, 18. He spoke with him when he was, um, remember when he was um, in the uh, wilderness and, and the Satan would come and tempt him in Matthew chapter four. And each time, uh, Jesus, how did he deal with him? He dealt with him by scripture. He dealt with him by the word of God. Um, Paul and Peter, James and John, all speak of him as a, as a personal being. He's named in Scripture. He's named the anointed cherub, the ruler of demons, the ruler of this world, the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the great dragon, a roaring lion, the vile one, the tempter, the accuser, and the spirit working in the Son of disobedience. 52 times he's called Satan, which equals the advers- adversary. 35 times he is called the devil or the slanderer. You wonder why you fall in sin. Flip Wilson, for those of you who are like over 40, remember he was a comedian and he used to say, um, "What did he, do you remember what he used to say? The devil made me do it. Right? Uh, Flip Wilson was wrong. Uh, but the devil is powerful. And he loves to get into our lives and he loves to take our eyes off of the Lord. He loves to get us askewed away from the things that God would have us uh, to be focused on. Um, He's powerful, but he's not all powerful. The one who keeps you, the one who saved you is all powerful. Satan's power is restricted in your life. There are things he cannot do. 1 John 4 and verse 4 says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. But we know because of the sin that we maybe found ourselves in this week, the thing you find yourself going back to over and over again, you know that he's powerful in your life. And if we're going to win the battle, we must understand our adversary and be ready to stand against him. The Bible says he's a schemer. In um, the temptation of his children and immorality, in the worldliness, in pride and self reliance and self satisfaction. Today we see Satan in deceiving us in role confusion, in marriage and homosexuality, and multiple cults and new religions and philosophies. And Satan is scheming and he's working and he's real. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to get our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. We need to get our eyes focused on the word of God. In the moment, we're going to, we need to get the armor of God on so that we can stand. But if you've been defeated this week, you don't have to be defeated next week because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That sanctification process we're going on, that growing up in Jesus Christ, is a bumpy road. And if we sin, we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. We don't have to live in this defeat. But Satan doesn't rule in the heart of a believer. And Satan has his minions He is those who work for him in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We have these um, demons. Those are also fallen angels who are working on us and working at us and seeking to get our eyes off of the Lord and using all kinds of things through what we see and what we hear and what we taste. All those things are just being used to be taking our eyes off the Lord, but Satan is at work and he uses his minions. Satan is not omnipresent. He's not. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. Um, He's not omniscient. He's, He's not But he's an adversary, and he's a strong adversary, and he has his demons that fight against us. The church's statement, your church's statement about spiritual warfare would uh, say this, Satan and his demonic servants viciously oppose the work of God that God performs in and through his people. God, who, by his nature, is infinitely more powerful than Satan, in due time, will have complete and total victory over Satan. Although it's appropriate to pray in Jesus' name for protection against demonic activity, the scripture does not instruct the Christian to bind Satan in Jesus' name. Rather, the Scriptures instructs the Christian to combat Satan by. So how do we fight against this evil one? That's really what I wanted to get to. Here's how you start humbly draw near to God, knowing that he will give grace and mercy and strength. And in 2 Corinthians 12, it talks about that in Hebrews 4 and James chapter 4 and 1 Peter 5, humbly draw near to God. Resist Satan's temptation. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. But you have to do your part. You have to resist We get caught up in things and we want them. And and sometimes I think we think about these things mostly in our culture today around sexuality or pornography and and that's blatant and obvious and true. And and there'll be people in the room who are struggling with this. If you're a man and you've never struggled with this, I just don't think your heart's beating, right? Because Satan loves to do this in the lives of men and you have to resist. You have to resist, but you don't resist alone by, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to try harder. Um, you have to agree with God about these things. And so you have to hate sin like God hates sin. Um, I, I said in our church a couple times, and um, I said, like, if you, if you can't control what you do on your computer, take it out in the driveway and back over that thing with your car, right? Unless your company owns it, then be more careful what you do with it. But but it's not just, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to try harder. You'll never have victory if you just keep trying harder. You have to agree with God about this. You have to hate what God hates. But that's just one picture. It could be the way you deal in business, it could be the way you treat your spouse, it could be all kinds of things that the devil uses in your life. And draw near to God, resist Satan's temptation, know the truth. When Jesus was tempted, every time he quoted scripture, every time, if you don't know the word of God, you can't stand against the evil one. Because what he gives and what he offers seems so good sometimes. If you're going to stand, you have to forgive offenses. You have to be willing to forgive those around you. You have to put on the whole armor of God, truth and righteousness, and ready to share the gospel, and faith and salvation and prayer. We're going to look at those in just a minute. And then... um, You have to be demonstrating faithfulness to the Lord by enduring the trials. When it gets difficult, when it gets hard, I don't give up, I don't lean out, I lean in. We need to be ready for the battle, understanding that our strength to have victory in this is not in ourselves, but it's in God. We need to understand and discern that the enemy that we face is real. Here's the third thing. To be ready for the battle, we have to be dressed properly. We've got to have the right equipment for the battle. And it's given to us, prepared for us, in uh, verses 13 to 17. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, I love the next word, stand. So often I think we, um, we, we, we just stop. After you've done everything to be ready to stand, I love what the next word is, so stand. You've got to stand. There's action that's involved for us as we think about this armor we're gonna put on. He says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all the circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that's the tools. That's the equipment. That's what God offers to us. That's what is given to us as followers of Jesus Christ. But you have to take them on. You have to learn how they fit. You have to work with them. But they're there. They're all there. And they're all available for us. Says, "Um, you don't get to pick and choose the parts. A Roman soldier couldn't decide I'll wear the breastplate of righteousness. I'll wear the breastplate. I'm going to go to battle. I think I need a bulletproof vest. But I'm not going to take the rest of the equipment. He didn't have a choice. He didn't have a choice. This is a you-take-it-all thing. And so all of this armor that's talked about, is it's a a one thing. It's all kinds of pieces, but it's one thing. It's the protection that we need. And, and so we take it all on, and we learn to work in it and use it. And uh, he talks about first, he says, put on the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. This belt that they would wear, it was kind of used as an anchor piece that would hold some of the other pieces in place. But it's the belt of truth. Um, Not your truth and my truth, but the truth, the truth of God's word. The belt is not the Bible, that's the sword, which is the word of God. So Jesus said to the Jews in in John 8, 31, 32, If you abide in my words, and you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Um, Taking on the belt of truth is the application of what we know God's word says and we're doing it in our lives. In 1 Peter 3 it says, "put but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do not, excuse me, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame." Uh, put on this belt of truth, A uh, doing the truth, uh, doing the things that you know are true. Put on the belt of truth. Then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Um, the breastplate for a Roman soldier was made out of chain mail. It was, it was what a cop today would call your, your bulletproof vest. That was what it was. It, it went from here down to here. It protected your uh, vital or- organs. And it's called the breastplate of righteousness. So how are you doing at putting on the breastplate of righteousness? You go, I don't even know how I put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is the breastplate of righteousness? Well, there's two parts to it, as I see in Scripture. There's imputed righteousness. That's what was received in us. When the moment you trusted Jesus Christ, how awesome is this? You were justified. You were made righteous in God's eyes. Put on that. That should be something that you put on. That should be something you talk about when the evil one comes against you and you're thinking, oh, what a mess I am. How can I ever serve in the church? How can I ever lead my family? How can I, how can I, how can I? That's the evil one, by the way. Unless you're being convicted of sin, the evil one loves to take that stuff and go, who do you think you are that you, Whittingstall, who do you think you are that you can get up, open God's word and talk to these people about this? Here's how. Imputed Righteousness. What God has done in us, the position God has put us in, put on the breastplate of righteousness, imputed righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. How awesome is that? That's what God has done for you. You didn't have anything to do. God did that. Then there's another kind of righteousness that's growing in righteousness. This is the daily growing up in him. Ephesians 4.24, And put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's something that we put on it, something that we grow in. And this is the part I talked about before. This is our sanctification. This is growing up in Jesus Christ. It's not a line that goes like this. That growing up in Christ is a bumpy road in our lives. Why? Because we keep getting in the way. Our selfishness, our pride, or sin, it makes it a bumpy road. But this growing in righteousness is, I say it like this, I'm not what I was. I'm not yet what I will be. I'm not even yet what I should be, but I'm not what I was. Because why? Because I'm growing up in Jesus Christ. I'm growing in righteousness. Are you growing in righteousness? If you did the audit of your life, how do you look different today than you did five years ago? How do you look different today than you looked five months ago? How do you look different today than you looked five weeks ago? How do you look different today than you did five days ago? We should be growing up in our righteousness, being conformed to the image of God, more like him every single day. Hebrews 1.9 says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness and beyond your companions. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. You choose to do that. You put it on. All the tools, all the equipment, it's all available. Put on the belt of truth, living the truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then put these shoes on your feet. Put these shoes on your feet. Now Josephus described them as shoes thickly studded with sharp nails so as to ensure a good grip. As you're growing up in Jesus Christ, we're going to be in muddy slopes. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be, you know, you watch a football today, especially when they're playing on grass. And if it's raining, the guys are like changing their cleats. Why? Because they've got the wrong equipment on their feet. A tennis players, when they play on clay, wear different kinds of shoes. And when they play on a hard court or when they play on grass. Why? Because they need to have the right things. Um, and so here he's talking about our shoes So that we don't slip and we don't fall and we don't stumble when we're in the battle. So when the enemy's coming, we're able to stand against him. And it talks about in the text, it says, And the shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Those shoes are the confidence we have because of the gospel and what Christ has done for us. But we need to be ready to stand. Why? Because it's a battle. Because it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. Anybody who teaches you that the Christian life is an easy life and you just go, God will give you whatever you want. They're just not reading the Bible. The promise is it'll be difficult. But the promise is I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The promise is to to get our eyes off of the things of today and get our eyes on what God is using those things for, for his glory I remember when uh, Sue, she was involved in a motor vehicle accident a few years ago and one of the statements in her recovery that just in my mind was, I'm not sure what God's trying to teach me but I want to learn it the first time, right? Because she wanted to be ready. I want to go through this thing. If you're going through these things over and over and over and over again, it's because you're not living out the truth or I'm not living out the truth. I'm not putting on the breastplate of righteousness. My, My feet aren't prepared. I'm not ready for the battle. You know Satan is going to attack you. If you've got a problem with pornography, you know before the day is out today, you're going to face that challenge. Put on the shoes. They come out of the gospel of peace. What is that? How awesome salvation is, how awesome the work of God in your life is, should keep you from sinning. You should be going, look what Jesus Christ has done for me. Why would I want that? Put on the shoes. Reflect on the awesome work of Jesus Christ. Allow him to be working in your life. The shoes for your feet. Then he goes on and he talks about the, the shield of faith. The shield of faith, um, here's what it says. You've got it in your Bible. So in all circumstances, so in everything, uh, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You say, well, no, no, but my temptation is too great. No, it's not. Not according to Scripture, not according to God's word. It It says take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all, all, No matter what kind it is, no matter how much it is, all the flaming darts of the evil one. We are victorious when we are in Jesus Christ. We are victorious when we're living by faith. Take up the shield of faith, the shield of the faith, the shield of what Christ has done, the shield of faith that comes out of that salvation experience when you understood what Christ did and what he accomplished for you. And I'm taking up the shield of faith. This is what Jesus Christ did for me. And you can extinguish all of these flaming darts. Faith here is not just saving faith, but living our faith out every day. The Roman soldier had a leather, uh, a shield that was leather stretched over a two or three feet long uh, wood, but it'd be soaked in water before the battle so that when the darts would hit it, they wouldn't light on fire, but they would be put out. They'd be put out. That's what faith does. That's what faith does. I remember my mentor um, teaching one time, and uh, he was talking about how Satan loves to take our failures and always throw them back in our face. That sin that you did, that sin that you did, how can God ever use you, how can God ever use you? And, and he said this to me one time, he said, or to us, but he said, when Satan throws those things in your face, in your face you need to go back and turn it to praise. What? Yeah, I failed. Yeah, I sinned. But he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. So, Satan, guess what? You're wrong because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of the shield of faith. Because I believe that my sin has been forgiven. It's been taken as far as the east is from the west. My sin past, present, future are under the blood of Jesus Christ. See, when you operate by faith, when you're trusting and seeing what God is doing, and then all of a sudden Satan, his arguments become useless. And he will stop bringing those arguments. When you take the things that... God has done in your life and he throws them at you as a failure and you turn them to praise, he's going to stop doing that. The last thing Satan wants you is you worshiping the Lord. The shield of faith. Saving faith. The faith that keeps you. And you get our eyes on those things. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus Christ is, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Faith, I love this, this definition, faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel. Knowing that God promises a good result. Take on the shield of faith. He goes on then, he says, Take on the helmet of salvation and take, in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, the helmet of, the, of salvation. Obviously, the, the helmet would protect your mind, it was the thing that would protect your head. It was an important piece of, of this equipment. Take on the helmet of salvation. We are to take or receive the helmet from God. It is our salvation. The assurance that God has saved you in 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. If if you're going to take on the armor of God, you take on the helmet of salvation. That's when you, remember? Remember that point in your life when, You came to the understanding there is no righteous person, not one, not even me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so that is me. Um, But God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Remember that day when you put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Don't forget that. Every day, when you get out of bed, start with how awesome it is that God saved me. How awesome it is that he brought me from death to life. How awesome it is when I was eight years old, that for me, I put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. You put your story in there. How awesome is that? Keep that piece of equipment on your head. It protects your mind. Satan... Satan wants your mind. The battle is for your mind. I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies wholly acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual act of service. Satan is after your mind. Let this mind be in But that hope and that strength and that help comes out of understanding how awesome our salvation is and how awesome that work is that, that God has done. He, he talks about being dressed for this battle and this piece of equipment, and then time is going by quick. So here's um, one more. One more. Um, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God. And this is where the word of God becomes so true. This tool, this weapon that we have. Um, it's the only piece of equipment that we have that is for offense. Everything else is defense, right? The helmet, bonk, bonk, you don't want to get hit in the head. The breastplate of righteousness, the shield, it's all defense stuff. But this is the tool that we use. This is the tool that we use. I remember one day uh, way back in my ministry time and uh, my friend, a friend of mine, he wanted to date this girl and she wasn't a believer and he didn't believe that was the right thing to do and so he was gonna wait and see. And, and I remember we were sitting with her in a park in Ottawa and um, talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how good God is and what God has done and suddenly in the middle of the conversation, it dawned on me, we're not using scripture. What we are talking about was true, but we weren't using scripture. And we started to use the verses that I just talked about a few minutes ago, the Romans wrote in John 3.16 and Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace you're saved through faith and not of yourselves. And it wasn't long until she stopped and she prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her savior. Why? Because this is the tool that we have to fight the battle. This is the tool that Jesus used to resist the devil. Take the sword, take the sword and use it. And this is the sword using the word of God. And so when somebody comes to you and they want advice, do do you give them advice? Well, good luck. They don't need advice. They need the truth of God's word. Now do Everything I've said today is not just right from the Bible. I've put my stuff in it. But this message is all centered around what does God's Word say. Because why? Because that's the weapon. That's what God's Holy Spirit uses to change people's lives. That's what God uses in your life over and over again when you need to be convicted of sin. It's the truth that comes from the Word of God. And so we have this weapon. You need to know it. You need to read it. You need to study it. You need to be in it. You're like, well, no, but I'm just a baby believer. I don't know anything. Yeah, but you're starting. So just keep growing up in Christ. You don't give up. You start somewhere and you keep on growing. I go for a walk every morning. And um, my read through the Bible plan becomes a listen through the Bible plan. And uh, I was... uh, Listening through um, Second Corinthians the other day, and some things in there just really struck me. And I was reading uh, through Proverbs, and uh, Proverbs thirty-one. I came to the proverb, and that wife, that wife. So thankful for what God has given me in a wife, and how how much of that is descriptive of her, and how God is working. But if you're never in God's Word, you don't have those tools. You don't have it. So take the sword. Take the sword. Why? Because it's the word of God that changes people's lives. As, you, as you've heard the gospel today in this message of here, and you've never trusted Christ, what do you do? You don't come to church. You don't, you don't try harder. You don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Why? Because that's what God's word says, and that's what God's spirit is working in your heart going, am I going to do this? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do this? Am I going to trust Jesus Christ, the word of God? Take the word of God. Here's the last point of this message. To be ready for the battle, we need to be disciplined. And that is prayer is essential. Prayer is essential. Um, Verses 18 to 20 say this. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then he says this, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. It's not really one of the pieces of the armor. um, But he goes, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you put on all of the armor. And then he says, now you got all that armor on? You just keep praying now. And you pray and you pray and you pray. And you don't stop praying. It's a priority. It's the way we talk to God. How awesome it is that I can come and talk to God. Why? Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. I have access. I need to come. I need to pray. And he says some things always at all times. Not something you do just before you go to bed or when you wake up in the morning. We need to be people of prayer all the time. When things are happening during our day, we need to be praying about these things. When we're tempted, we need to be praying. When our kids are going through difficult times, we need to be praying and not giving up on them. We need to pray. Pray in the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, in the leading of the Spirit, according to the will of God. Don't ever pray for something that you know is not God's will. Like, I've heard that. I've heard people go, you know, I'm praying, and, and the Lord's leading me to marry this person. And are like, is that person safe? Oh no. Well, the Lord's not leading you. Stop blaming the Lord for your sin. Um, pray in the Spirit. You pray knowing what God's Word says, and you pray those things. And, and so he says to them, pray in the Spirit with all of your prayers, all of your adoration, all of your thanksgiving, all of your requests, all of your, con- your confession, Be alert, be alert as you pray. It's not a passive thing in the text. Mark 14 says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Prayer and the word of God will keep you from sin. And he says, keep on praying. You fight to the finish. We don't give up and pray for each other. I love that he says, pray for all the saints. And then he says this, and then Paul says, please pray for me, pray for me. As you put on all of these things, as you're doing all of these things, this one who is the leader for them, he says, pray for me. Pray for Pastor Mike. Pray for Angie as they seek to be used by God, the spotlight of all of you looking at them all the time in their life. Pray for them. Pray for all the saints. He says, pray for me as the Lord leads. Pray for Sue and I as we seek the Lord, as we seek to, in the power of God's spirit, be used across our nation for... Pray. We need to be focused on it. It's God's desire that his people come to him and that we pray. Well, so what? So what? Are you ready for the battle? Our strength is not in ourselves. Our strength is in the Lord. He is the one who enables us in all of these things. Get your eyes fixed on him. Well, so what? Remember, the battle that we face is against a determined and a powerful adversary, but he's not greater than God who is in you. He's way greater than you, but he's not greater than God who is in you. You ready for battle? Put on all the armor. It's not pieces you take and pick and choose as you go along. No, we take all of the armor. Why? So you can stand and pray and pray and pray. And then as Paul says, And after you've done everything to stand, then stand. Let's stand for the glory and the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord.